During this fall, we have been reviewing the gospel message through the book of Galatians, and it's magnificent to, to not only review it, but then to distribute it, and we've been able to participate in that. So be in prayer for all those that receive those gospel tracts, that they would read that gospel, and God would use that to bring them the faith in Christ. I'm going to invite you to turn back. This morning we begin actually the second half now of the book of Galatians. We're going to be in the fourth chapter. And as you're turning there, I just also want to say uh, at the end of the service, at the end of the message, oftentimes it's not unusual for people to start filtering up, okay, the service is over, uh, let's start heading out, even before the service is done. I'm going to ask you not to do that today because we've got a few, I would say, significant announcements, and I want everyone to be included in that, okay? So I'm in Galatians chapter 4, and I want to begin with a simple question. And the question is, when does a young person, a young boy or a young girl, When do they cross over into adulthood? Is that when they get their driver's license? When they are able to vote? When they get their first job? Is it when they move out? Maybe when they get married? Or does it have something to do with the responsibility of not only being able to lead yourself, but also to lead Another. As we look at this passage today, I think every person in this room is going to be able to see themselves in at least one of two different areas. Either you are a child in the faith, or you are more of an adult in the faith. And so what Paul is going to do is is look at both of those in these 11 verses in Galatians chapter 4. I think what we have here in these 11 verses is a very practical, insightful passage of Scripture that as we are working through it together, what I'm going to ask for you to do is be praying, God, which one am I? What does it look like to be a just an infant in the faith? And what does it look like to be an an heir, an adult in the faith? In fact, just trying to mix things up a little bit, would you pray right now for God to give you insight as we are about ready to begin to read his word? I'm going to ask you to pray right where you're at and say, God, would you give me understanding to these words today? I'll let you pray Right right there in your seat, and then I will pray after that. Our Father, we often just fall into a routine. And it could be this is what we do on this Sunday time slot. We sit down and we we listen to the Bible being read and the Bible being taught. And that's a great practice throughout our week. It's important for us to do that. And I just sense that you want to do something different today than just have a sit down. That you want to really speak specifically to the people that are in the room today. 
that are viewing online, that are listening to this later. You want to show them where they are at in their Christian life or if they are a Christian. So would you please use this passage of Scripture to do just that? In Jesus' name, amen. As we are going to look at what a what a an infant in Christ looks like, as well as an adult in Christ look like, I remind you that as we've been working through the book of Galatians, there's just been this overarching theme of the law. That is this Old Testament law. And does it have a place at all in a Christian's life? And what we've been learning about is that the law helps us to understand that we need a Savior, that we have sin in our life. And that's what we've been covering over the last couple of weeks In Galatians 3, now Paul is going to give us an illustration for us to look at, are we a a little infant in the faith or are we an adult in the faith? The first thing we're going to look at is that of a child. And, And this morning, this morning, all I want to do is just let the Word of God speak for itself. So you have the Bible on your lap. Let's read the first two verses together. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Now, if we go back to Roman culture, there was no teenagers or adolescents. We don't see that in the Bible. It was either that a person was a child or they were an adult. And who was it that set the day that that child would transition from childhood to adulthood? You see it there in verse 2. It was the father. When he deemed it was appropriate, that's when that child became a woman, became a man. And you notice here in verse 1, it says, I mean that the heir... As long as he is a child. Let's talk first about this infant in the faith or this child in the faith. And the word child in Greek, it's referring to one that is so young that they are not even able to speak yet. Imagine a professional football player and his wife have a child. Pick an area hospital. Let's say it's at Bellin. And that child is brought into the world. And even though that child, according to verse 1, might be an heir, their father might be very wealthy, that little infant is unable to receive the inheritance quite yet. In fact, if dad took a stack of $100 bills and put them in the crib, if that child, that infant could speak, would say, what in the world am I going to do with this? What I really want is my diaper changed. Or I want some milk. Or I want a pacifier. I have no interest at all in this inheritance. And that's what he is saying in there in verse 1. That an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything. And do you remember from last week, there is this guardian, verse 2, but he is under a guardian. That in that culture, a wealthy Roman or Greek family would actually hire out a servant 
And they would serve as a schoolmaster, a tutor, a guardian. They would ensure that that child would get to school, that they were doing their work, and at times would even discipline that child. They were all about trying to bring that child into maturity. Look what it says here in verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. This word, elementary principles, is referring to the ABCs of the Bible life. And so what is taking place here is Paul is describing the child, the child in the faith, is what he is referring to is this child only understands the law. And the purpose of that law, as we learned last week, is to serve as a mirror for us. Is that when we hold our lives and compare it up to the Ten Commandments, this moral law, all we see is our sin and our failure. Remember Romans 3, verse 20. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. Romans 4, verse 15. For the law brings wrath, but there is no law, there is no transgression. So the child, the child in the faith, all they understand of the law is that they need a Savior. The law exposes our sinfulness, silences our mouths. We are unable to keep the law, and it shows us that we need Jesus. Now look at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, do you get that? That's an allusion to that Roman or that Greek parent that has determined the appropriate time for that child to enter into adulthood. Look at verse 4. That when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. In order to mature that child, God the Father, at the appropriate time, at the fullness of time, sent His Son. Fullness of time means the perfect time. If you look at history, this was a great time because there was something called the Pax Romana, when the Romans had brought peace to the land. The Romans had brought roads in which transportation could go from one village or one city to the next, and the gospel would be able to be carried from one city to the next. This perfect fullness of time also included a common trade language, the Greek language. And this often, often had the false philosophies and religions were shriveling up and dying. And, and at this moment, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, and what did he do? Look at verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law. The whole purpose of Jesus' coming was to purchase freedom. One is identified that there's three different things that take place under this redemption. One, that the ransom price was paid by the blood of Jesus. Two, the curse of the law was removed. And three, we are released from the bondage of sin into the freedom of grace. Here's the first, the first person 
in this Christian life is an infant, is a child. And this is what they know. I'm a sinner. The law has revealed that. And I'm in need of being redeemed. And Jesus has provided that. There's a wonderful phrase that we use to describe this. Jesus used it. Born again. John 3, 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is a a great doctrinal word. It starts with an R. Do you know what it is? Regeneration. It just means to be born into the family. The law has performed its function in a child's life. Like the schoolmaster, like the guardian, it has prepared that child to understand his need for a Savior. The person is now newborn into the family of God by repentance and faith. This is a new believer, a babe that can barely even talk. That's the first step in a Christian's life. They are a babe. Now I want you to consider the second. And that is of the adopted adult son or daughter. Look with me again at verse 5. What did the son do? Look at verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now I'm going to get I'm going to get a little technical with you this morning, but I think you can handle this. Because there's two different doctrines in play here. The first is regeneration, which means that you are born again. But there is a difference between being born again and being adopted. Okay? If you are born again, you enter into the family... If you are uh, adopted, the word as sons here is referring to the adult that has transitioned from childhood into adulthood. And this adopted son, this adopted daughter is able to embrace the inheritance that their very wealthy father has provided. Now a good question for you to ask at this moment is, okay, When does adoption happen? When does regeneration happen? Well, regeneration happens the moment you are converted. When does adoption happen? The moment you are converted. But one is different than the other. So let's talk for a moment about the difference between the child... That all they know is the law, that the law has convicted them that they need a savior, and the adult son or the adult daughter that we read about. The son here is now mature enough to draw from the father's inheritance and can exercise the privileges of adulthood. This doctrine of regeneration may get one into the family, but the doctrine of adoption allows one to enjoy the inheritance of the family or enjoy the inheritance of God. Now, what is it like to be mature? Look what it says there in verse 6. 
And because you are sons, again, this word sons is vastly different than the word child in verse 1. This word sons is referring to a mature adult. And because you are sons, listen, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So a mature person is fully aware that the Holy Spirit is in their life controlling them and guiding them and enabling them to obey. The Holy Spirit fills, empowers, guides, and leads this person to embrace the inheritance. Let me just talk for a moment then about the benefits of adulthood. Now, I'm not speaking about turning 18. I'm talking about Christian adulthood. And I think you probably know that just because you've been a Christian for 10, 20, 50, 70, 80 years, that doesn't necessarily mean you are mature. In the same way, it's possible for a person to be a Christian for six months to a year and taking on the privileges of a mature adult. So what are some of these benefits? Let me just offer a few of them to you. Uh, Warren Wearsby has been helpful to me in this. Here's one of the benefits. An heir, an adult, enjoys a relationship with the father. You see what it says there in verse 6? And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of a son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. A person who is an adult is not dependent on the law for them to understand God. They can enter into a relationship with God in prayer. This word Abba, you probably know this. This is the most basic word that a little child would call their father, like a daddy. And it's the same word that Jesus would do in order to pray to his father. We might use the same word. At one time, we had a relationship with the law. It beat us up. It told us how sinful we were. But now we get to enjoy the relationship with the father. Here's a second benefit for those Christian adults. And that is adults or heirs obey their father out of love. At one time, we were motivated to obey the law because of fear. If I don't obey, God will crush me. The guardian, this schoolmaster, if I get out of hand, this schoolmaster, this law will slap my wrist and punish me. But those who have entered into a saving relationship with God... Don't need that. They're guided by their relationship of love with the Father. You know, there's a law on the books, moms and dads, that says that you cannot neglect your children. If you neglect your children, you might be dragged away to jail someday. I don't know what it's like in your home, but it's not unusual for there to be something that happens in the middle of the night or early in the morning with one of the children. They're crying out. They need some help. My wife has never put an elbow into my side and says, listen, if you don't do something about that, we might get dragged away to jail someday. No, we don't need the law there. 
Why? Because we are driven by love to serve our children and take care of them. Imagine you were in a family business. And you were given the role of accounting and, and, and overseeing the books. And you loved your father. You would do anything to honor his name. And it makes you proud to see that company grow and expand. Now, there are laws on the books about embezzlement. But you don't need to worry about that law because the only thing you're concerned about is honoring and cherishing and loving your father. Love drives the way that you work. And so it doesn't matter to you if you work over 40 or 50 hours a week. You don't have to worry about breaking that law. Why? Because you're driven by love for your father. In the same way, as you mature into adulthood, you're driven by love for the father. Let me give you a third benefit. Heirs, that's sons or daughters, adult ones receive riches from the the father. Riches of grace. Listen to what Ephesians 1 verse 7 says. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. When we fail to obey, when we let our father down, we don't double down and increase our efforts to obey. We don't go with laser-like discipline to say, next time I will get it. Rather, we apply for the riches of grace that's provided for us. And we ask for forgiveness. Not only this, but we ask for this grace to transform our lives so that the next time, well, we we will obey. Does that mean that we're not going to mess up? No. No. But it means when we stumble, we appeal to the grace that is provided for us as new heirs. Let me give you another riches that we qualify for. It's riches of wisdom. Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. When you are a son, an adult son or daughter before God, you are able to draw on the inheritance of these riches of wisdom. And that wisdom comes through the Spirit of God, revealing the Word of God to you. What an inheritance that we have received. And then finally, let me give you another benefit. As an adult heir, we are provided for by our Father. Philippians 4.19 And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You see, in adulthood, the law is replaced by a relationship with the Father. The law, the guardian or manager, is no longer needed. We have the Scriptures and we have the Spirit of God. The law brought enslavement, but the Spirit of God brings freedom. So in these first six verses, 
We conclude with verse 7. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What Paul is doing to us today, what the Word of God is doing to us today, is saying, where are you? Are you a child that you have learned that the law has brought you to conviction of sin and only through Christ you can be saved? God sent him to purchase you. Or are you an adult in the faith where you've seen the law's purpose fulfilled and now you have moved into a relationship with the Father. You know what was taking place in the churches of Galatia? I'm afraid it's the same things that takes place in the churches of America. People understood that they were saved by grace, but they went right back under the law. Look at what it says here in verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Paul is saying, I want you to think back to before I came and delivered this message of freedom to you. Do you know where you were? You were in temples. You were worshiping pagan gods with this whole idea that if I perform enough, if I will obey these rules, then I will be acceptable before this pagan god. And really, isn't that A summary of all the worldwide religions. Do enough, and then maybe you will be acceptable to that God. But Christianity says something very different. Instead of us pursuing God, our God actually pursues us by sending Jesus on our behalf. The Galatians are returning to obeying the law in an attempt to gain acceptance, favor, and forgiveness from God. In effect, what they are doing is they're going right back to the infant stage of Christianity. Look at verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more? Do you see what's taking place here? They realize that they are saved by faith alone. But now as they are living out their Christian life, they're going right back under the law as a way of trying to gain God's favor and acceptance. And Paul is going, it's as if you are going right back to the nursery of the faith. Imagine, I looked up this week, the largest library in the state of Wisconsin is the Milwaukee Public Library. It's hard for me to imagine, but it has 3 million volumes and over 78.5 miles of books. Would you imagine for a moment that a Ph.D. chemist walked into the Milwaukee Public Library with all these vast books that he could read from. And what he does instead is he goes to the the early childhood section of that library, 
And he sits in one of these little chairs and all he does for the entire afternoon is recites the ABCs. You would say that this man is mad. Why would he revert back to this stage when he could, he could advance his knowledge of chemistry and going to that section within the library? As absurd as that is, that's what these Christians were doing in Galatia, and that's what we do when we think we can gain God's approval and his acceptance when we go back to obeying the law. You see, the only way that we can be made right with God is by his riches of grace, by faith alone. Now, in what way were they embracing legalism, you ask? Well, look with me at verse 10. Paul is saying, let me get specific. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Now, the Old Testament, they had these specific days. I think this is probably referring to the Sabbath, where they had put some structures, some law into the Sabbath of things you could do and things you couldn't do. There was also these, as it says there, months and seasons. There were things like the Feast of the Tabernacle, the Pentecost, Passover. And then there was these years, these years like Jubilee. Now let me ask you a question. Is there anything wrong if you want to observe these? Hey, just this past spring, did we not have Evangelist Andrew from the Chosen People Ministries? And and did we not observe uh, church-wide this Passover meal? Was there anything sinful about that? Absolutely not. But where it becomes a sin is our motives. And if you are observing these days, these festivals, these seasons, in order to get right with God, that's called legalism. And the only way we can get right with God is by the grace that he has given to us. Listen, if you want to observe the day in which Jesus is born, you are free to do that. But don't do it thinking that you can gain God's pleasure by doing it. It's only by the grace and mercy of God. And then he concludes, verse 11, Man, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Here I came pouring out my heart, preaching this message of grace to you, how the law had a function, a temporary function to bring conviction of sin, to serve as your your guardian, your tutor. But then you were to mature in the faith and enter into your relationship, being filled with the Spirit, being guided by the Word of God. That is how you are acceptable in Him, by feasting on the riches of His grace. Let me just conclude then this morning by giving you a couple of lessons from adulthood. Number one, mature heirs prioritize their relationship with God over the law of God. Did you hear that? 
mature heirs, mature sons, daughters, prioritize a relationship with God over the law of God. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to be controversial, and I'm saying it intentionally. Let me give you a little quote here from Augustine. He said, love God and do whatever you please. How does that sit for you? Love God and do whatever you please. (laughs) The psalmist put it this way. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now what's the first and most important thing? Do you hear it? It's your relationship with God. That's got to be the highest priority of your life. Freedom is found in abiding in God's Word and depending on the Spirit of God to lead and empower. The law has already performed its function. Church family, step into your inheritance. Let me give you a second and final lesson then. Mature heirs understand the power is in a relationship with God, not in attempting to keep the law of God. Mature heirs understand that the power is in the relationship with God, not in attempting to keep the law of God. Now, in our day, it's not so much going back to the Old Testament law, but that's been replaced by seminars and series of books and videos and audio messages where maybe they're telling us, this is how you are supposed to live. But the priority for us is our relationship with God, being filled with the Spirit, being subservient to the Word of God. I'm not speaking about license of doing anything you want. That is where the power is in your life. Look at what it says again in verse 9. But now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world whose slaves you want to be once more? Why would you go back to the weakness of you trying to keep the law? You cannot do it. Exchange it for prioritizing your relationship with God. Loved ones, it's time to move out of your parents' basement. Spiritually, it's time to receive your father's inheritance. It's time to move on from the ABCs and enjoying the privileges of his spirit and his word. It's time to move on from this transactional mode of relating to God. I read my Bible, I prayed, I gave my tithe, I was kind to that person. Check, 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 check into an ongoing, close walk with the Father. And I'm just telling you, this kind of sneaks up on us. It was just last Saturday, whatever that is, eight days ago, our family was loading up and we had a cross-country meet on the other side of the state, a three-and-a-half-hour drive. Abe was supposed to be there at five or 8.30, so we left around 5. And for a couple of hours there, I had bliss, a quiet vehicle, 
that I was driving. And I thought, man, I have an opportunity here for some unhurried prayer time. And as I was praying, I just sensed, I sensed in my own walk that I had slipped into more of a transactional relationship with God. I've got this to do, I've got this to do, I've got this to do, I've got this to do. And how wonderful it was just to drive along from one side of the state to the next and just say, I've missed just being with you, God. I do love you. I'm so thankful for the forgiveness. I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for the spirit that you have given. Loved ones, I dare you to step into this freedom. Take the training wheels off. Be willing to fall and scuff your knee. Be willing to receive the grace of your loving Father. Get out of the crib. Walk in the Spirit. His Word is a lamp unto your feet. You are no longer bound by the law. Enjoy the freedom that your Savior has provided. Don't you want to walk in freedom? Don't you want to provide freedom for the people within this church? It might look a little bit different. But let's prioritize our relationship with God as He enables us through His Spirit, as He directs us through His Word. It's time for some examination, loved ones. Where do you find yourself today? Do you find yourself like an infant, like a child? That, that's just kept it simple and you're still kind of in a performance base. Or if I, if I follow these rules, God will be happy with me. That's what an infant does. But if you realize that true maturity, the life of an heir really is a stepping into the grace. It's saying, you are the most important person in my life, God. I'm going to prioritize my relationship with you. And I want to walk with you. Here's what I'd like us to do is pray. I think our music team is going to be leading us in a song. Just as I am, a long song. And I want to give you an opportunity to, to come and pray. This has been a great message for me to prepare for because I've had to ask myself, have I been slipping into this performance-based or my... Am I really enjoying the benefits of being an heir? And I wonder about you. Have you been enjoying the benefits of being a son or daughter, an heir? Let's pray together. Father, as we've looked at this passage together, we've been encouraged to take a real honest look and ask ourselves, have Are we really just trying to follow some rules, some morality? Where we're really not depending on the Spirit or relationship with you? Have we just fallen into a dry routine? Are you calling us back to you as our first love? I miss you, he says. Why don't you come back? Let's clear up some of this sin. Why don't you ask for forgiveness? The grace is available to you. 
Just lay yourself out and say, I, I want to walk with you closer than what I am right now. There's other things that have filled in my life and priorities. I want to repent of those and, and put you back to where you belong on the throne of my life. I want to, I want to advance from an infant to an heir, a son, a daughter, to be able to draw from this inheritance that you've provided for me. Our Father, as we take this time right now, help us not to race through it, but to make the most of it, to apply what you are saying to us in your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Once you stand, those of you who want to come, you can come and pray. I'll be here. If there's a way I can pray for you, let me know.